Very exciting portion of scripture for all the young people in the house today. Children, obey your parents. I hear a lot of shouting, victory, aisle running, jumping, and cartwheels right now. Inside of your heart, I'm sure. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Doesn't always mean it's the enjoyable thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. I think I should have heard every parent in the house say amen about children obeying their parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. But fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. just want to talk for the next couple moments about father and son. Father and son. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be gathered here in your name today. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you do what only you can do. I pray that I do not get in the way. I pray none of our attention spans, Lord, would fade away. But I pray we dial into what you are wanting to speak, what you are wanting to do in this moment and hour. Someone say in Jesus' name, amen. I will try not to be long-winded, but you probably never believed that statement. And you're probably pondering in your mind, how can something so short preach so long? God works in mysterious ways. So, father and son. Father and son. We read this portion of scripture, and by the sound of everyone in the room, you are exhilarated and thrilled to hear about listening to our parents, honoring our parents. And I'm not preaching from this passion of scripture, a portion of scripture, uh, simply because it is, it is Father's Day. Um, you know, if I had a, a Mother's Day sermon on Father's Day, I'd preach that. But I, I do believe that God is wanting to get some attention for some people here in this room today because he wants to heal. He wants to work. As we talk about this subject matter of father and son, the best family book you could possibly read out there is the Bible. The Bible touches every aspect and arena of the family. There's not another book out there that's more pro-family, pro-marriage than the Bible. It is the bedrock of civilization, this ancient manuscript that we have that we call God's holy word is what instituted marriage between a man and a woman. And God laid the foundation of the family unit. And God intends for a family to function and operate in certain ways. And there are things in Scripture that if we would give ourselves to them, we would find the benefit of heeding the word of the Lord. As we read here in Scripture, the call, the command for children to obey their parents A father or mother can get excited about this. They could pull the scripture out and show it to their son, their daughter that just gave them some lip that didn't clean their room when they told them to clean their room. You told them to mow the lawn, but they have still yet to mow the lawn, and it's a month later, and you're still hoping that your child would heed to you, and you keep 
putting the scripture in front of them for them to memorize and to recite, hopefully that it would register from the mind to the heart to the hand on the lawnmower to mow your lawn. You could use scriptures like this, and they are absolutely biblical. They are absolutely correct. But as it is with any scripture that we use, we are not to isolate the scripture all by itself. It is woven throughout other verses. It is line upon line. It is precept upon precept. We must read the whole word and make it work in that context. And we must read also in the immediate context that we find it. And as much as we see a command for the way children ought to be with their parents, Paul seems to make sure he connects the dots here in verse 4 as he gives instruction to the fathers on how they treat their children. How we treat our children, how we treat our kids is very important. It is a command for kids to honor parents. But may we not forget as adults, as parents in this room, it is a command for parents to live in such a way that deserves honor. You can't merely command honor. You cannot solely demand honor and say, the Bible says you need to honor me. The Bible says you need to listen to me. The Bible says you need to respect your father. The Bible says you need to honor your mother. We can quote that all we want, but the Bible also goes on to say that the parents must live in such a way that deserves the honor and wins the honor of that child May a parent say amen in this room. And that would be in a, a easy place for the children to say amen as well. But you should be very careful because you may not get a treat after service from your parents. But how you and I look at this segment of time that we have with our children. We have a small window of time with our kids in our home. And how you treat them in that short segment of time. How you treat them in the short term will impact them in the long term. I know you may, if you're like me, and maybe I'm the only evil, wicked person in this room, sometimes the thought may have passed your mind, I can't wait for my kids to grow up and they could take care of themselves and move out and it's just my wife and I. I know probably nobody else is like that. I am the only one. But the thought has crossed my mind a time or two. I love my children, me wanting them to hurry up and grow up and not have to take care of all the details uh, is, is, is an exciting thought to me at times. But then, of course, I, I meet the grandparents, I meet the elders that say, oh, no, 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 you need to cherish your time with your kids. As I think about that every night when the bed routine process begins to initiate and I got to take care of diapers and I got to take care of brushing teeth. I got to remind them to brush your teeth. I hear them say they brush your teeth. And for some reason, my lack of trust leads me to their toothbrush that is bone dry and crusted over with toothpaste from three days ago. There's a reason why sometimes I struggle to trust my children. And I struggle with the idea of I want to cherish them being three years old forever. I want to cherish them being, you know, incapable of responsibility forever. There's sometimes those thoughts pass through my mind, but then I quickly look at the older pictures of when they were smaller and I do miss moments of their childhood in certain stages. But how fast they do grow. My son is 10. 
my daughter is, the daughters are seven and five, and time is moving by pretty fast, it seems. Sometimes it feels like it's going at a snail pace. Other times, I just, it's like I've just blinked and everything just happened all of a sudden, and it's hard to register in my mind. But it is a short window of time. If, if checkout is at 18, as my father in law liked to tell his children, that checkout's at 18. I like to keep that mantra in my home. And if you have children in the basement of your home that are 50 years old, that's your prerogative. And that's, if it's working out for you guys, that's awesome. But that's just not how the brown home's going to work out here. My, my goal is checkout is at 18. And even if they live in my home longer than that, in reality, it is such a small segment of time. And I must make the most of that short window of time because the short term is going to impact the long term. When we read this scripture, the scripture is not saying that is if they want to put verse four back up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. That is not communicating the absence and removal of discipline in their life. Though discipline is going to anger your child and and accountability is going to frustrate the goodness out of them sometimes. And they will hate you for holding them responsible for every action of theirs. But we are not called to be the friends of our children. We are called to be the mothers and the fathers, the parents of our children. And so when we read this, we ought not to all of a sudden begin to second guess. Well, maybe I shouldn't hold my children accountable to anything. That's not what it is saying at all. Because you go on to read, it says that you are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, if the discipline instruction comes from your flesh, your child may not exist today. But there is a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Because our God is very clear in Scripture on how we are to operate as parents, as fathers, raising our children in this day and age in which we are living. Discipline is not designed as an outlet for your anger, but it is designed as a means of love to give instruction. You know, my wife and I, we've had to talk to each other a number of times that we do not just react to the moment Though our flesh wants to react to the remote moment of our children's irresponsibility. But I am called to obey Ephesians 6, 4. And that is to raise my children in discipline and instruction. But in a manner that is not counterproductive to them growing up in the ways of the Lord. There is a way you can raise your child and hold them accountable and hold them responsible and discipline them and give them instruction that gets them to an understanding of choices have consequences. Behaviors have consequences and outcomes. But you can do it in a way that does not drive them away from you as a parent. And you can do it in a way, in a manner that does not create a disdain in their heart for the Word of God. Because our goal as a parent is not to raise our children the way the rest of society is raising their children. The goal and objective of a parent is to raise them in the instruction of the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord is forever 
settled in heaven. Someone say amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, my child, this is talking to every single one of us. Before you are a parent, you are a child. And my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. It is not an easy thing to receive discipline. And a lot of times when you grow up and move out of your house, the motive of a child moving out of the house might be different than the motive of the parent wanting the child out of the house. You know, you as a parent, you might just want some, you know, just some silence and, and peace and tranquility in your home. And the child is thinking, well, when I grow up, I'm not going to have any responsibility. Wrong again, Fluffy. And so it's just the, the whole every the whole dynamic of everything changes when you go out into the real world. But it doesn't change if you realize that you are always a child of God. Whether you believe in him or not, you are always a child of God, for he is the father of creation and we are his children. And even if you left your home so you would not receive any discipline, there is a father that is still over you that still brings guidance, instruction and discipline but we must be careful as children ourselves not to be upset with the father when he disciplines us. Because it goes on to give us insight in verse 12. The Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. The most loving thing you can do as a parent is not let your kid do whatever they want. The most loving thing you could do as a parent is to correct their behavior. Now, I'm not here to give instructions on how you're going to correct your child. If you want some advice later, we'll have a sidebar conversation and we can talk about ways that you can raise your children. I'm just speaking a little more general here to get to a more specific point, if that's all right. But the most loving thing we can do as a parent is to do what our father wants to do to us. But most people are raised in such a manner that they have such a disdain for correction and discipline and instruction or have never been raised in structure. They've never been raised in correct discipline, correct instruction. So when they grow up and they are their own person and walk out into the real world and God is trying to get their attention, they end up getting mad at God because God is a father and the father that loves his children corrects them. But if if you have grown up as a child, which I find most children in our society today are not getting clear instruction. They are not getting consistent guidance. They are not getting consistent uh, uh, discipline. And so they're not used to a type of discipline that comes that way from a father when they grow up and all of a sudden God starts dealing with them. Instead of them realizing God loves me, they get mad at God. Because they've never been raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is how God gives instruction. We are made in the image of God. I want you to listen very carefully, fathers, mothers, parents here today. This is not solely tied to fathers, but I am aiming at fathers here today. A father carries a tremendous responsibility for you reflect and bear and wear the image of the heavenly father. You are not just a man in this world. You are a man made in the image of God. 
You are the first example the child sees as God. You are not the child's God, but you are made in the image of God. And you are the first authoritative figure that they look to. This is very important for every father to listen to me today. You are made in the image of God and you are representing a depiction of the heavenly father to your children. I'll say it just one more time and I'm going to repeat this. I am not. Don't misconstrue my words that I'm saying that you are God and you are deity. Is that you understand me, right? I'm just saying you represent The image of God, the idea of what a father is. You are the one that gives definition to daddy. You are the one that gives definition to father. And so when your child grows up and anytime they hear the word dad, anytime they hear the word papa, anytime they hear the word father, anytime they hear that word, you're the one that brought definition to it. And that is a tremendous responsibility that we bear and that we wear. And if you and I do not raise our earthly children, if we don't raise them properly as an earthly father, we are going to hinder the view of a heavenly father. This is so critical to know. I'm not, I, I know you may feel awkward and you feel like you're in a parenting session, but we're just in the Bible today, okay? We're, we, we say we believe the book, so why don't we take a look at it for just a moment? You are the one that is going to either help or hinder your child's view of a heavenly father. I do not want to mess up the definition of a father for my children. I want my children, when they open up that Bible for themselves, or when they hear a song that sings about God, or they hear a preacher preach about God, or they hear someone talk to them about God in reference as a father, we ought not to create such a definition in our children's upbringing that they cringe at the idea of God being a father. They are uncomfortable with the concept of God being a father. I want to represent my God the best way that I possibly can. So when my children grow up, father is not a stumbling block for them. That father is not a hurdle for them. I want them to run to God like my children ran to me. to speak a little more here, but I wonder if we can lift our hands for a moment. I wonder if we can ask our Heavenly Father into this place right now. Lord God Almighty, Father of creation, I pray your very presence would be in this room right now. For without you, we can do nothing. God, I pray that there would be a revelation and an understanding that comes into this room right now. Lord, that there would not be hindrance and hurdle. Lord, to someone calling on the Heavenly Father. Would you clap your hands to the Lord. Now the word of the Lord is laced with so so many examples of the relationships of fathers and children. There's so many to choose from, so many we can glean from. But I'm just going to select two examples that came to me in my mind and I feel that are pertinent or applicable to what God is trying to communicate to us in this moment. And one is a man named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
Now, it was not God's ultimate plan and will for there to be uh, a man being the king. That's not the way God designed it, but people asked for it. People desired to be like the other nations. Again, people trying to be like the rest of society. That is not what we do as people of God. But God gave them their way and said, you could do it. And so Saul had a tremendous opportunity to bring a very healthy definition to what a godly king is. But he was not only a king, he was a father. He had children. He had many children, but there's one relationship in particular that stands out to me, and that is the relationship between Saul and his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan, in the way it was set up and structured, was to be the next king of Israel. And Saul started off as a really good king. He was a humble man. He was a a man that uh, was doing the will of God. And he wasn't, uh, though he was head and shoulders uh, literally over everybody in stature, he really felt like he was a small person. He didn't feel much about himself. He uh, Whether you want to call it humble or insecure or whatever. But he didn't even feel worthy to be Israel's king. But he was selected. And he was doing good. He was bringing the children of God in victory. But when his walk with God began to slip, so did his leadership and parenting. It's important as fathers that we monitor our walk with God. If our walk with God is healthy, we can pretty much expect that the way we lead and raise our families can be healthy. Because we are following the instruction of God and God will not mislead us. But as his leadership begins to slip after his walk with God slips and his parenting begins to slip, we begin to see this unique transition. It's like a role reversal in the relationship between father and son, Saul and Jonathan. You know, the father who is tends to be the one that exemplifies faith and boldness and confidence. You find him fearful and cowering and worried and and, and, and not sure and uncertain and, and not hearing from God. And and the scene that I'm speaking of is when Israel is afraid of the Philistines and everyone's hiding in the cave. And this king who should be leading the way and should be leading the charge for the people of God is staying back and he's apprehensive and he's reluctant and he's he's just not sure of himself and he's not discerning the voice of God. And so you have Jonathan, his son, who all of a sudden he 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 steps up to the plate while everyone else is cowering in fear. And he goes out and does what his father was called to do and meant to do. And he goes out and leads the charge with his armor bearer. And there is an amazing victory. And because Jonathan steps up into that almost kingship role, that father figure role, the rest of the children of Israel come out of their caves and they follow suit. And there is a tremendous victory that day. And we read here after this scene in 1 Samuel 14, 29 and 30, that Saul, prior to this, the king, the father of Jonathan, he made a very rash uh, vow. He, he, he spoke irresponsibly and he basically, uh, he called a, a fast for everyone. He says, look, none of us are going to eat. None of us, nobody can eat, nobody can drink, nothing right now. We're on a fast, we're going to, we, we need to see victory, we need to hear from God. And Jonathan, the son, did not hear the decree of his father, but he went out and did what the father should have done. And so when he comes back, Jonathan sees some honey, and he dips in it, and he gets that honey, and he tastes it, and he eats it. 
And all of a sudden, all the people are like, what in the world are you doing? Saul said not to eat anything. He said, we are to be fasting, and anyone that would eat would be slaughtered. And in verse 29, this is what Jonathan says. My father has made trouble for us all. Jonathan exclaimed, a command like that only hurts us. Look how refreshed I am now that I have eaten this little bit of honey. Think of how difficult these words are to come out of a son's mouth that's been raised by a father who is a warrior and a king and leading the people of God. And now you just have to come to the realization, my father is making trouble for us all. The decisions he is making is not just hurting him, it's hurting everybody. In verse 30, he says, look, if the men had been allowed to eat freely from the food they found among our enemies, think of how many more Philistines we could have killed. Basically, they were in war against the Philistines. This battle was going on, and God gave the children of Israel victory because Jonathan led the way. But Jonathan said, look, if my father's walk with God was not off, if he wasn't slipping, if he was accurate, if he was in tune, we could have had more victory than we're currently having right now. Hear me, fathers, here today. There is a life that we can lead and we can live. I'm thankful if you're having some victory, but I want more than some victory for my family. I want more than some victory for the church. I want all the victory that God wants us to have. Is anybody here today want to follow that path to not some victory, but total victory? Not only is Saul fearful, we find Saul now jealous because David enters into the scene, that little boy that kills the giant And now people are singing the praises of David. Saul, he slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his tens of thousands. And jealousy gets into the spirit of Saul, and he thinks David is the enemy. And so now we find Saul trying to kill David. In fact, Saul, he has a roundtable discussion with his leaders. And his son is one of them, one of the warriors. and, And he begins to plan how to kill and assassinate David. David, who's been so good to the people of God, and to the king. The next morning, verse 4 of 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan spoke with his father about David. And he said many good things about him. And here's what Jonathan is telling his father. You see this switch, this role reversal, where typically a father gives instruction. A father gives counsel. A father shares his wisdom. A father gives some impartation of knowledge and discernment. But we find Jonathan saying, King, you must not sin against the servant David. Jonathan said, he's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant, how the Lord brought a great victory to all of Israel as a result? You were certainly happy, happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. And now this king, this father, is taking advice from the son. And he's listening to Jonathan, and he makes a vow, I will not kill David. But it doesn't take much longer after this, you find Saul going back into that fit of rage, into that spirit of jealousy and bitterness and confusion. And he begins to try to kill David again. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 34, we read this scene. As Jonathan 
basically is trying to figure out where his father stood because Saul, he, he appeased his father's wrath by convincing him not to kill David. And then he went back to David and said, look, my father's not going to kill you. And David's like, good. But then just right after that, Saul tries to kill David. And so Jonathan's trying to figure out what's going on. Why is my father so confused? What's, what's, what's going on? And so he goes back to his father and he works the plan to figure out is his father really trying to kill him or not? Because Jonathan's trying to believe the best in his father. Because he tells David, my father's not going to kill you. I just talked to him. I just talked to my dad. My dad says he loves you. My dad remembers what you did for him. My dad would never do that to you. But so David comes back to Jonathan and says, look, your, your father's trying to kill me. And Jonathan doesn't even believe his best friend. He says, no way. No way, David. My father's not going to do that. And so he goes back to Saul, his father, the king. And sure enough, there's this, this reality check that Saul, his own father, is trying to kill his best friend. Though his best friend has done nothing wrong. So much so that Saul gets mad. He picks up a spear and throws it at his own son to try to pin him against the wall and kill him. He, he insults his son by calling him the son of a prostitute. It, it is a heated exchange. I don't know what your dinner tables look like growing up, but that's pretty intense. That's a pretty intense moment for anybody where your father calls you the son of a prostitute, picks up a spear and throws it at you to kill you. That is a messed up scene. And in verse 34, Jonathan leaves the table in a fierce anger and he refuses to eat on the second day of the festival for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. This is a major blow to a son who is watching a father spiral out of control. A father that has the anointing of God on his life. The father who has a call of God on his life. His father who is a leader. His father who is an influencer. His father who has been successful. He's watching the whole thing fall apart. And he leaves that day not just angry, but completely crushed by his father's shameful behavior towards another person. And what is amazing to me about this story is that Jonathan had every reason to turn out rotten, but his father's behavior miraculously did not prevail into his own personal behavior. Look, this story, and you need to hear me right now, is if you were raised wrong, you can still live right. If you had a father that spiraled out of control, if you had a father that lost his temper, if you had a father that made decisions that had no rhyme or reason, it was confusion to you, it was fearful to you, I'm telling you there are figures in the Bible that come out with a testimony that they didn't come out bitter they didn't come out rotten they went through the trial it was real, it hurt it impacted them but they were determined to do the right thing. I wonder if there's someone in this place today saying God I may have seen a father spiral out of control but Lord as I grow up that will not be my story that will not be my testimony. It is not a mystery in society right now that the definition of a father or a good example of a father is not easy to find these days. 
But I'm telling you, in a world full of confusion, a world full of fear, a world full of rage, a world that is given to wrath, you do not have to turn out wrong because you were raised wrong. You could turn out right. And Jonathan lived opposite of his father. His father was selfish, trying to build up his own kingdom. But Jonathan was selfless and tried to recognize the kingdom that what God was doing and says, I don't want the throne for me. I want it for David, for he's the Lord's anointed. Think about that. The law, the lineage declared Jonathan to be the king. And so he, he, he could have had the mentality. You just wait till you die, daddy. In fact, you read the story of all the kings throughout the Bible. Many sons killed their father. They didn't like their father example. So they took matters in their own hands and they ended their life of their father and they became king and became the authority. But when dysfunctions in a family, a cycle continues over and over again. And there's murder after murder, assassination after assassination. But Jonathan, Jonathan knew that it's not about my kingdom, not my will, but God's will be done. And he so much exemplified that, that Saul, his own father, recognized it in his son, Jonathan. He says, Jonathan, you think I'm stupid? I know that you are trying to support the kingdom of David. You're rallying behind him. You could live in such a bad environment that the right spirit surfaces, that the right anthem comes to the forefront of your life. If you're here and you are raised in that kind of life right now, or if you've been raised that as a child, you could come out better. Would someone lift their hands for a while? I'm just about done. I just got a couple more verses. Would someone lift their hands? Would you ask the Holy Ghost to speak to us today? Jesus, we need you. We need you in this place today. We need you today, God. I believe there's a healing spirit here. I believe there's a healing spirit here, God. In the name of Jesus. Come on, would someone say, heal me, Lord. Heal me today. Come on, make that prayer right now. Jesus, heal me today. Heal me today. Heal me today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Second Chronicles 1, 7, I'm not going to read all the verses for the sake of time, but you could jot them down if you like. But verses 7 through 12, you read this situation. There's a man named Solomon. And Solomon is the new king. And God appears to Solomon and he says, Solomon, ask me anything you want. And I'll give it to you. Imagine getting a blank check from God. That's pretty cool. If I gave you a blank check, you could write whatever you want, but it's probably going to bounce more than you've ever seen anything bounce. And so God gives a blank check. You could, you could take that to the bank. You know it's going to go through. It says, whatever you want, Solomon. And Solomon asked God for wisdom. When you read in verse 10, he says this. He says, give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead properly. Who could possibly govern this great people of yours? And God replies to Solomon. He says, Solomon, because you asked for wisdom, you didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for fame. You didn't even ask for the life of your enemies. I'm going to give you what you asked. And I'm going to give you that which you did not ask for you. I'm going to make sure you're the wisest man that ever lived. Make sure you're the richest man that ever lived. And he's began to declare these blessings over him. Where did that come from? A young king. What young king makes that kind of prayer request? I, how, be, just be honest, you don't have to show your hands or anything, but like, how many young people do you think 
if God went up to like, no, I don't know the exact age of Solomon at this point, but you know, whether he's, he's, he's 40 years old or whether he's 20 years old, I can't remember off the top of my head if the, the Bible says uh, it gave an age of, of, of what he was when he started as king. But regardless, he, he viewed himself as a young child. And he says, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to lead. And what kids these days, what young people these days, even what adult these days would ever ask for such a request when God says, you can ask anything you want, I'll give it to you. Where did that thought get planted in his mind? Perhaps it was a father and son relationship. I pose to you 1 Chronicles 22, 11 and 12. This is David, the Solomon of father, talking to his son Solomon. And David says to Solomon, son, may the Lord be with you. May he give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple, the Lord your God. David encourages his son to do things he's never done before. David wasn't allowed to build the temple of God. But he was in full support of his son doing something he was not able to do. And he says in verse 12, may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. That you may obey the law of the Lord, your God, as you rule over Israel. As fathers, moments with our children matter more than we could ever fully grasp or realize. Your children are so impressionable. And they are receiving a message from you when you speak to them. And as we speak to children in whatever tone it is, you never know what seed you are planting. And that seed can be something disastrous or that seed can be something beneficial and beautiful. Now, I, I, there's, I, there's no way I can prove that these two verses are connected. But I just find it interesting that David took a moment to have a father and son talk. And he says, son, I want God to give you wisdom in your leadership. I want, I, I want you to be a wise king. Don't make foolish decisions. And we see the first interaction between Solomon and God. And his request is the same advice that his father gave him. And you may feel like, well, I, I'm an older parent. My kids have grown up and I missed the boat. It may be harder to influence an older child, yes. But it's not without reason or the realm of possibility. Because you are still the father. You are still what they look up to. Even if it was a rocky relationship, even if you haven't done everything perfect and right, you still have influence with your son. You still have influence with your children. You still have influence with your daughter. If you are a parent and your children still live in your home right now, your voice matters as a parent. Your voice matters as a father. And you have the ability to mold and shape the future, an impressionable future. And I, I, I can't, I, I lost count of how many times my son or my daughter brought something up from like two years ago three years ago, when I don't even think that a three-year-old would remember. I don't even think that a five-year-old would even pay attention. But I'm telling you, these kids are watching 
and listening to everything that we do. It's why I have no problem. And if it bothers you, it, it bothers you. But it don't bother me in the least bit to watch these kids up front dancing and worshiping, raising their hands. And you say, well, they're not really worshiping God. They're just kids. They don't know. I don't care what you say. I want to leave an impression to them of what it is to be a father or an adult or a parent that worships God. And I want to lead by example. And so when they grow up, when it comes time to prayer, when it comes time to the Bible, when it comes time to the preaching, it's not going to be a hurdle for them to get engaged with the service. It's going to be a part of who they are. I love when the kids run around in this place. I love when they're reaching up and calling out on God or lifting up their voices. I would hate for a child to grow up and be afraid to lift up their voice in church. I want the children to have a voice. I want them to be able to lift up their voice and speak to a heavenly father. I wonder if there's a parent in this house right now that just wants to be an example. If you would lift your hand, if you would call on the name of Jesus, let the children see a responsible adult. May we as parents, may we as adults be an exemplified example to what a child of God is supposed to be. I'll never grow up to a point where I don't worship. I'm always going to be a child of God. I'm always going to be a prayer warrior. I'm always going to be a worshiper. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That's a, that's a pretty big statement. Jesus says, be perfect, just like your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, it's not stating that we achieve perfection in this life. Not until God transforms us when we go to heaven. But our goal is to be like the Father. Our goal is to be perfect like Him. It's not saying that we'll, we're, we're without sin. You understand what I'm saying? But He is the model. He's the role model. And it says, be what He is. That's what Jesus said for us to do. And so what we need to be as fathers is to be the best father we can be. Jesus, we know Jesus is God. But Jesus also is the best example we have of what we are to be. It's why we call each other, you know, Christians, Christ-like. Jesus in John chapter 14, you know, Philip says, show us the father. And it will, will be suffice, we'll be happy. And, and Jesus says, well, you know who he is. He's like, I, I don't know him. He says, you've seen him. And Philip's like, I've never seen the father. He says, yes, you have. He says, he that has seen me has seen the father. And he says, the father dwelleth in me. Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus personified. Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He showed the father to his children. And he says, be that. Be that figure. Be that person. And you can say, as a father, as a parent, as an adult, I, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't think I could ever do that. Well, why would Jesus say to do it? Because he is calling you to something better than what we are. 
He's saying, I, I know your life's not perfect, but strive to be like that perfect father. Because we are in that image. We, we basically are supposed to be like Jesus on earth to people. We are supposed to be, you've seen me, you've seen the father. I, I am doing everything I can to be like my heavenly father. In John 14, 31, it says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and the, as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. In chapter 15, verse 9 through 11, as the Father loved me, so I love you. Continue in my love. He says, I love you like the Father loved me. That's when we read in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We can be a father to our children as an example of what the heavenly father is to be to his children. As we stand together, if we have, if we keep on reading here in John 15, he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And, you know, sometimes... As children, if you could recall that moment in your life, if you're an adult right now, if you're a child that's in their teens or single digits, you you know what I'm talking about because you're living it right now. But when you get old and crunchy like me, you turn 36 and your memory starts slipping. Sometimes you forget stuff. But there's, I have plenty of memories. Basically, I did not enjoy any of my father's commands. I didn't like any of them. In fact, I, 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 was, I was the epitome of, like, the worst child you could have is, is how I feel about myself. I, I have a lot of regrets. I, I was, you know, if I could put it into word, one word, I was a rebellious, obnoxious, teenage punk jerk face. If that could be a compound word, that's about what I was. And I did everything to rebel against my father, and I hated every commandment. I went against it. But when Jesus talks about the father-son relationship, he says, look, if you keep my commandment, you're staying in love. Do it and keep my commandments as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And if we as fathers keep the father's commandments, our children, they'll see that we abide in love and what we do is love. And they will continue in it as the disciples continued in Jesus' path. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. If we have the right view of a father, it will help our relationship as children of God. And I, I, I haven't lived in any other era, so I really can't speak to it other than what I hear, you know, uh, elders say and what I've read in books. But a traditional family is like, is just like rapidly dissipated. It's obsolete. You know, it's, 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 it's just a different world. I'll never forget this moment. My wife and I, when we went to Bible college in Indianapolis, um, and I don't know what spurred the question, but it was the first time I ever worked with uh, troubled youth. We would drive throughout the ghetto in Indianapolis, and we'd pick up about 30 kids in, uh, in, in the church vans, and we'd go to this storefront that the church um, owned or rented or borrowed, I can't remember. But we would have non-traditional Sunday school there because I mean, these kids were, they were intense wild. They, I mean, they literally did whatever they wanted. That's how they were raised. 
I mean, there's these kids that we picked up that their mom was always walking up and down the streets, and, and you could imagine. They just, I remember opening the door into their house, and when I opened the door, there's absolutely no furniture. It was just a mattress on the floor, a big screen TV, and then a fridge full of beer and, and, and pop. That was it. And I, I, I w- I've been blessed to be raised in a home where I, I wasn't abused. I wasn't molested. I wasn't, I wasn't torn apart verbally by my parents. I, I was raised in such a healthy environment. I never seen drugs traffic through my home. Uh, I was the first child born uh, in, in, into my family. My, my sister and my brother, they were born before my parents got in the church. There was drugs and alcohol through the home. My parents were addicted to cocaine. You've, you've heard me share this story plenty of times. But I was raised in a good environment, and I fought it, and I rebelled it. But like when I when I when I repented and you know, basically when when God spoke to me and called me back at 18 years old, my senior year, I wasn't afraid to run back to God because I had a good image of what a father is. And as parents, as we're raising these children, God forbid any of our children ever backslide. But I pray that when they come back, I, I was at a, a, a table one time. Uh, with somebody, and, 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 and the father basically lifted their hand to, like, hug their kid, and their kid, like, just flinched, like it was afraid of the father's hand. That's some people's view of a father. But, see, that's not what God wants us to grow up with, that impression of fear of coming back to God. Because when you read the story of a prodigal son, the father was there waiting for the son to come back. And when the son was da- a long ways down that road, That father ran to that boy. And if you had a skewed view of a father running towards you, you might run away from the father because you think you're in for the whooping of your life. But that boy did not run away from the father. They embraced because he knew his father loved him. And I feel the Holy Ghost in such a, a strong way that, one, if you were raised with not the best view of a father, you have the opportunity to redefine what a father is to the children you raise. But you also can get a correct view of what your heavenly father is and what he is not. He loves you, and he will in no wise cast you out. He'll always take you back. No matter how far into the deep pig pen that you find yourself in, you'll have it better in the father's house than you'll have it anywhere else in any friend's house, in any other person's house. The father will take you back. But back, I I, I almost forgot this whole thing. Back to the the story. I I was picking up all the kids. I can't believe I even remembered. I have a terrible way to move around here in my mind. But... We're sitting with all these kids in this, this um, we call it the GS house, Sunday school. And uh, I don't know what spurred the question, but I just simply asked all these kids. And there was about, I don't know, there's probably like 40, 50 kids in the room. There's other kids in the neighborhood who would come there. And uh, I asked the question, how many here live in a house where your father and mother are in that home? And out of 40, 50 kids, there was literally like one or two hands that went up. And I know South Dakota might be a little different, but it's, I'm finding it's not all that different. That people don't grow up in what has been known as a biblical family, a, a bedrock of stability, comfort, and provision. And as we pray for revival in Watertown, we must realize when we are reaching 
a people in this community, when you say Father, that doesn't always register the same for everybody. And so we have this awesome opportunity when someone comes to this place for us as fathers to display what stability looks like, what a family looks like, what the love of the Father looks like, what God is like. I want to be the best example of a father-son relationship. He is the Father, and we are his children, and we are to reciprocate that same behavior into other people. I wonder if we could lift our hands right now. I wonder if there's somebody here that just you just want to come to the Father, and you just want to say, God, I love you. Lord, help me, Jesus, right now to exemplify the figure of a father to my own children. And Lord, if I don't have children, may I still exemplify, Lord, what a father is to be like. Lord, what a child of God is to be like. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for healing to take place. For those in this room, God, that perhaps were not raised in a home, Lord, where they knew their father. Lord, those that were raised in their home, and were abused, were neglected. I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would bring correct definition and revelation to them right now of what our Heavenly Father is. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray when we think of you, God, we don't flinch and cower in fear, but help us to know the tender love of the Heavenly Father's hand that would reach down into our situation and would hold us and we don't have to be afraid of being abused and we don't have to be afraid God of Lord anything inappropriate but Jesus Christ Lord you are God and you are good and you love us Jesus I pray God that perfect love would cast out fear in this place right now and I pray in the name of Jesus the fathers that are in this house right now Lord would not provoke their children to wrath that we would not be responsible to creating a stumbling block for our children growing up in the instruction and way of the Lord. May I be a father that is Lord like my heavenly father and that I see my children to grow up in the church, faithful to God, raising their children one day, Lord, in that same cycle of stability. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Would you lift your voices right now? Come on, would you let God heal you right now? Jesus, I pray, Lord, for every brother and sister in this house right now. Lord, I pray healing virtue. I pray healing virtue into my brothers and sisters in this room right now. I pray, God, that you would heal and minister, God, in this house and in this place. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone here today that you, you, you feel overwhelmed by even the idea or their concept of how can I do this? There's no way I can do this. And the truth is none of us can. We need God's grace for this. It's not in me. Just like Solomon who confessed, it's, I can't do this. I, I feel like I, I, I'm a kid. How am I now? I'm a king. I, it's just like, well, I felt like when my wife and I, when we, we became parents, it's like, I'm a kid. What, how can I raise a kid? And when my wife and I became pastors and we were 22 years old, we'd never done it before. It's like, how can I do this? And this is where in our weakness, his strength is perfect. His grace is sufficient.
if, is there anyone here today that needs the grace of God to help you to raise your children? Or do you need the grace of God to help you rewire your mind to what a father is? If you fall into that category, I wonder if you would come to the front here and we can pray together as a family of God. That we can lift our, I really do believe that God wants to heal someone's mind. I really do believe that God wants to help you get a, a correct view of what a good father is. I, I, I'm standing in this altar with you right now. I need the grace of God. To raise my children in this world. I got a 10 year old. I got a 7 year old. I got a 5 year old. And I'm trying to navigate how to raise a kid in this day and age. I need the grace of God. Is there anyone else that needs God's grace that would come to this altar with me right now? If you need God's grace, would you come to this altar? If you need God to help you raise your family, would you come to this altar? If you need God to help you understand and help you to register a healthy view of your Heavenly Father, He will in no wise cast you out. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to be a father, just anybody here. We're all children of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us in this hour. Help us in this day. Help us in this moment. Help us, God, in this era that we are living in right now. Lord, where stability is thrown out the window. Stability is difficult to find. I pray, God, that you would help us by your grace. Right now, Jesus, I need you.